بسم اللہ الرحمن الرحیم الحمد للہ رب العالمین والصلاۃ والسلام علی رسول اللہ صلی اللہ علیہ وسلم السلام علیکم ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ ٹو دا لسنرز اینڈ دا ویورز ویلکم ٹو ٹاک ان دین ایپیسوڈ نمبر ٹین السلام علیکم بردرس وعلیکم السلام ورحمۃ اللہ وبرکاتہ ہاؤ از گوئن الحمد سبحان اللہ ویور بی اف کریزی ویک ہاؤ می ویدر وائز Amazing. Lovely. Why? It's got beautiful English weather here, raining outside. <laughs> the perfect, perfect summer. <laughs> it was kind of tropical a few days ago. Well, the storm there. at night, that was incredible, wasn't it? I don't so, know, it woke a lot of people up, like constant bolts of lightning. Yeah, I didn't see the lightning, but to, to be honest with you, um, I do know at one stage, because obviously it wasn't like letting you sleep, but at one stage I did think, subhanAllah, the uh, the awe using awe and the, thunder, the, the power of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala you know yeah. because it was loud man and it was you know you could feel the intensity you get me um but uh, yeah subhanallah you know as we know it's been really hot and uh, now it's raining but uh, you know alhamdulillah we should say alhamdulillah that uh, you know here we get uh, all types of weather <laughs> in <Okay>. one week <laughs> in one week exactly so subhanallah on that note uh, brothers and sisters today's topic We're going to speak about a topic which is close to every Muslim's heart and maybe because of the place we're talking about. The place where we have, you know, the two holy mosques. We have uh, the, 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 the Kaaba in uh, Mecca and uh, Masjid Nabawi in Medina. And this is the land obviously now is called Saudi Arabia. And one thing that, you know, a lot of people have been speaking about is the, you know, the, the initiatives Uh, that uh, I've been carried out, you know, uh, under the name of Vision 2030. And that's what we're going to be speaking about. And we know in the last week or so, there's been the Jeddah Fest. Um, we've had cases where, you know, there's um, pop stars like Nicki Minaj, who was supposed to headline this uh, this concert. And she pulled out at some stage, um, you know, and we got people like 50 Cent's and, uh, you know, people like Future, You know, and, and all this sort of stuff. And to be honest with you, you're speaking to many Muslims, I would say 98% of the Muslims that I've spoken to, uh, other than the uh, percentage of the deluded people, have been, you know, people who have been enraged by what's happening. And, you know, just a side note, that as Muslims, this is also another uh, uh, a message as well, because we have been angry about Nicki Minaj, we've been angry about 50 cents, but at the same time, How many of us have actually been angry about, you know, the the latest addition of American troops being sent to that land? But that's just a, that was just a, a side comment I wanted to get in there. So inshallah, brothers, let's not waste any time and let's speak about Vision 2030. What's going on here? Well, from my perspective, and I'm sure we'll speak a bit about this as well, maybe later. But my, from my perspective, the one of the issues with talking about Vision 2030 straight away is that people just look at it in isolation. So we're going to talk about what it is, but I think as part of today's discussion, when the right opportunity arises, we need to talk about kind of the more wider context of the Middle East, because Vision 2030 hasn't come in isolation. It has come as a vision for Saudi Arabia that they're going to kind of in, kind of implement, but also actually it starts many, many decades before mm-hmm. as a plan for the Middle East to actually secularize Muslims to promote kind of democracy within the Muslim lands. So I think we need to speak about that. But yeah, Vision 2030, this is like, this is a style that they're using specifically in, in Saudi Arabia. Okay, that's, that's fair enough, because if you think about Vision 2030, probably something, if people haven't heard about it, the general theme is that, you know, Saudi Arabia, you know, the, uh, the, the oil's running out from what they say. Mm-hmm. And uh, hence why now the Saudis are trying to Uh, make reforms mm-hmm. from an economical point of view mainly which is to diversify and look at other uh, revenues of income mm-hmm. and one of those is uh, opening up Saudi Arabia uh, even even selling off or, or is it floating a percentage of Aramco yeah. That's right. um, and uh, and to make social reforms also but mainly if you speak to people generally the theme is that Saudi Arabia wants to move away from dependency of oil and look at other uh, revenue avenues of revenue now on that level it would seem like yeah well it makes sense doesn't it yeah. you know what i mean so i think it's good that you've said that i.e because maybe there's things we need to speak about 
briefly even or maybe speak more in more depth later which shows that this is just you know uh, what they're trying to show but the the real reasons are different yeah, yeah i mean uh, well put there by brother rash i think uh, vision 2030 is part of the wider plan the straight up kufurization of the muslim lands uh, i think i'll uh, copyright that term i don't think i've heard it before <laughs> but i haven't uh, heard it before as well yeah so. So uh, I think... Uh, well, just it, just it, to mention, I don't think copyrights are allowed in this Okay, film, fair so enough. Then. That's know. fine then. That's throw, fine. Uh, no sorry, problem. Throw that out. No problem. Okay, fine. You can use it with the match. No problem. <laughs> um, I think it, it's the wider plan that uh, fits in. And we have heard this term before against the, the war against Islam. Mm. And it is part and parcel of that. And Muslims do need to really understand and perceive that it is part and parcel of the war against Islam. It's not really about what uh, i.e. the Saudis are making out it to be or what uh, the West are making it out to be. And we obviously can discuss it in, in more detail and depth uh, why and how. And it is actually something that has been done previously by the colonial powers, by Britain, in other parts of the Muslim lands centuries ago. Um, and uh, I think... It must be made clear, though, it, it's not to the benefit of the Muslim Ummah. Uh, the Muslim Ummah needs to really perceive also what benefit is. Uh, the benefit mm-hmm. is pleasing Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala uh, and working for the hereafter. So uh, I think there are many points in, that we can highlight how uh, not only Saudi but the West, America especially, is pushing this agenda to completely radically transform and reform uh, the Muslim lands, but really it's trying to reform Islam. Yeah, and this is why, whilst we'll talk specifically about Vision 2030 in itself, this is why I think both of us are kind of highlighting that from the apparent, it's really easy for people just to mm. go, let's look at what the plan is. Mm-hmm. They've highlighted a number of strategic kind of goals they want to achieve. So if you just sit down and look at Vision 2030, you might go, okay, a lot of what they're trying to do is going to help from an economic perspective. It might even help from a, you know, there is, there's elements of it is talk about anti-corruption. There's elements of it talking about more transparency. So mm. from the apparent, someone who looks at that is going to be like, oh, that's, that's good. Yeah, yeah? Yeah. But this is why it's very important as a Muslim to look a lot wider because the implementation of it, if you link it back to even things like the Greater Middle East Initiative, back that was in 2004 that was announced, mm. yeah, you look at some of the goals of the Greater Middle East Initiative about this, you know, implementing democracy, transparency, like, you know, freedoms mm. and all of these things. Mm. They are exactly the things that are then highlighted in, in the manifesto type document for Vision 2030. So people, you need to have known about that before yeah. to look at this and go, wait there a minute, this looks very much like that plan yeah. just reworded slightly. Yeah. So that's why it's very important to look at the wider yeah. wider goal and just to mention one of the things or comment on one of the points you made is there's this kind of perception that it's because Saudi are running out of oil and that's not actually the case <laughs> Saudi still have like second most only because of Venezuela recently coming out and saying look this is how much oil we've got that Saudi dropped off like the the main the top dog on that in that field but actually Saudi still got plenty of oil the main issue is that the oil market is so volatile mm. or actually you know there was a time where you know the barrel of oil was like over a hundred dollars now it then it dropped to like almost like 15 20 dollars now it stabilized a little bit so the real initiative was around that the fact that they weren't able to influence the market as much as before and play America's game or play, you know, do what America wants them to do in the region because America has a strategic objective for them. So because they couldn't or they can't implement that going forward as easily because, you know, Saudi are classed like as a swing producer of oil because what they can do, they've got so much capacity, so much oil, if they just suddenly go, we're going to have this many barrels of oil a day, it can affect the price mm. immediately. So they had more control, whereas that slightly changed over the years and more recently. And that's why America still needs Saudi to be a strategic influence in the region. And if they're, if they're not strong economically, then they can't do that. So I think that's where an economic part of the Vision 2030 comes in, not just to strengthen Saudi Arabia, but equally, that's why they need to, you know, implement some of these reforms 
under underneath this because it's it's a it's another strategic objective and yeah we'll talk about it i think in a bit more detail that makes sense because you know uh, even a few years ago you might remember when um there was um, i think it might have been because of the when russia annexed crimea, uh, crimea, crimea where what they did was there were sanctions put on russia and at that time the saudis were ordered to increase the production and to lower the price. Yeah. Mm-hmm. This actually affected their economy, but it just goes to show that they don't really, you know, they're not masters of their own destiny to a certain degree, right? And you mentioned about the GMEI and subhanAllah, you know, we know that uh, the, you know, from some of the, the at the time, if you go back to 2004, and we see some of the uh, the, the comments and the, the speech of, uh, you know, many speeches that uh, Bush gave, Bush Jr. You know, things where he said like, our commitment to democracy is tested in the Middle East. Yeah, it's tested in the Middle East, which is my focus today and must be a focus of American policy for decades to come. Okay, and what do you mean by it's tested today is the fact that, you know, when they talk about democracy, they're not just talking about where people are just able to, uh, you know, vote for whatever they want. No, no, democracy is to do with secularism, i.e. that man is not just the one who votes, he's the one who actually legislates. He's the one who who makes the actual, uh, makes the rules. And, you know, subhanAllah, we see that, you know, when they invaded Iraq, I was uh, uh, doing a bit of, uh, uh, I was just checking about more about what was happening in GMEI. And it says that um, $40 million were uh, given were, uh, were given into the, the Middle East in the first, actually in the first six months, it's four, and actually it's 450. $450 million in the first six months in Iraq to promote, promote democracy. democracy. Okay. And you know, on that note, subhanAllah, there's an ayat of the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim, Inna alladheena kafaru yunfiquna amwalahum liyasuddu an sabilillah. Indeed, those who disbelieve spend their wealth to avert people from the way of Allah. And we can see that the amount of billions and the trillions that they, they, they did put in um, and obviously they've changed their tactics slightly now they want the, the the Arabs to be paying for their projects but we see initially the amount of uh, money that was pumped into the Middle East to promote democracy and secularism was the, the, the numbers are going to trillions and this is why they failed though isn't it this is why they weren't willing if they've looked at they've done some what do they do they do like a an analysis of their funding yes. of those projects subsequently and they recognize they were spending trillions in like Iraq and Afghanistan without really mm-hmm. getting gaining much success especially we call it democratization I think kufferization is probably a better, <laughs> better description of that but actually in that project of democratization of the Middle East they failed yeah and and they keep spending more and more and I think that's where it came to the fact they recognize they can't keep spending their own wealth they need to try and use the ummah's wealth to carry out their own they're, objectives. They're, they're capitalists, so mm. they'll always look on return on investments. Yeah. Okay, Definitely. so from a business perspective, they're always going to see how quickly they're going to get their return, mm. um, and 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 this is the way of them looking at it. Now they want to use the wealth that is not theirs. And George Bush recently, uh, sorry, uh, Donald Trump recently said, you know, when uh, people were questioning him about Saudi Arabia. And he said they spend $350 billion a year. They spend $350 billion. In effect, he was saying, what, you want me to turn them away or uh, make them a pariah state on basis of the fact that uh, they spend $350 billion helping the American economy? And didn't he even say that I just need to make one phone call and immediately I can get that kind of yeah. money? And whereas he commented something about uh, an area within America where it's really difficult to get um, rent off people. He goes, it's easier for me to get money off Saudi Arabia. This is this yeah. is their attitude yeah. towards well, okay, guys. Uh, the Ummah's wealth. So, Subhanallah, you've given a good uh, uh, intro to the discussion, shall I say? Yeah. So let's talk about Vision Twenty Thirty then, because our viewers are gonna and our listeners are, are you know uh, maybe waiting for us to. So we've laid a we've laid a picture. What you're saying is that you can't take Vision Twenty Thirty uh, in isolation. You That's have to right. look at the, the, the objectives and the plans that America has for the region yeah. and of, uh, to, of Saudi Arabia as well. Okay. It's not, it's, it shouldn't be perceived as just an economic plan. That's right. Yeah. And, and I think that, it's, it's, that is it's, why... That's, that's, that's uh, the wolf in sheep's clothing. If okay. Call. And that's the reason why you've given this bit of a back, background to this, right? So, Vision 2030 then. 
what we need to what, what do we need to talk about vision 2030 i think there's a few bits you need to talk about first of all this is kind of you know mohammed bin salman him becoming the crown prince this is like his pet project this is kind of his way of you know young young crown prince coming on the scene you know how can he implement something that is going to go down as his legacy the vision 2030 is that something that he brought to the table mm-hmm. it's a vision which is like say initially promoted as kind of an economic thing its headline is to diversify the economy because we don't want to be so dependent on oil that's the headline mm. but within it there's elements that say you know we need to increase the entertainment sector so that saudi is a place where people can come you know it's a improving tourism yeah so so what are some of the things that they've been doing other than the no, just give you the framework this yeah. is the framework sorry so there's the economy side there's the entertainment side but this is the bit that is worth being aware of is they've also pulled in some of the islamic aspects into it so they've all so building hajj into it so they say a part of vision 2030 is also to increase number of people coming to pilgrimage from like 8 million to 30 million yeah. so what they've done is packaged it in such a way is like Vision 2030 is kind of supposed to improve Saudi Arabia from a diversification point of view but also it's Islamic that's the way they want to package it or we are the custodians of the t- of the two mosques and this vision is a way of kind of promoting this to the world and it kind of promoting tourism so that's kind of the vision so that's not too much different from what the uh, the pagan arabs of quraish were doing in yeah, Mecca, in, in Mecca at, that, at that time isn't it because that that's what exactly what they're doing there their their main source of revenue other than their uh, their uh, caravans to places like yeah. Syria and Yemen was the Hajj season exactly and this is just to to mention as a little quick side point is if you're there what you'll notice is vision 2030 is plastered everywhere mm. wherever you go if you go on Hajj there everywhere you go you see vans vision 2030 posters vision 2030 in Medina every single pillar vision 2030 vision 2030 so for the normal person who isn't overly aware it almost appears to them that vision 2030 is something specific to do with hajj yeah yeah and that's what i noticed last year i was like okay i thought this was more of an economic thing mm. from the point of view of okay oil and all of this but now i'm now at hajj you're like wait there a minute this is they're packaging it in a way that muslims may not even be aware that yeah. there's a greater objective to this well i think initially what they needed to do was sow the seeds so they've sown the seeds that it was an economic plan yeah. that part of the message has i think probably filtered down uh, to uh, the masses uh, one of the key elements or some of the key elements of uh, vision 2030 is that it takes its reliance away from oil yeah. and it not only that but it uh, focuses on the other elements now saudi is not only rich in oil it's rich in other minerals as well gold is one of them um, yeah that's that's, that's uh, again it's it's it, it's not the only thing that saudi uh, allah subhanahu has blessed that land with um and again this is uh, not the wealth of the uh, kings of saudi this is the wealth that belongs to the whole muslim ummah Uh, and that is what is being wasted here and that is what is being used and abused um they want it to increase obviously we mentioned tourism uh not only that but they want to want it to make it an international business hub as well so whereas traditionally you've had places like dubai uh having uh, a lot of business and commerce they want to transform certain areas of saudi to ha- become that international business hub as well and he actually you know mohammed bin salman he actually quoted one of his quotes is that the the fruition or the completion of this plan he said this is my war yeah. this is my my war my personal war is to make sure that we you know complete uh, america's plan for him you know he didn't obviously say those words but this is what he means well, what, what he said was that you know my war is to make uh, the middle east into the next europe, europe. that's right and you know you can look at it in two ways so I might just look at ah okay he's talking about how europe Uh, progress from the dark ages That's into right. the industrial revolution etc but don't but other people will also pick on the fact that you know the the enlightenment period the renaissance yeah, yeah where they they separated religion yes from state, state. from right. politics yeah, yeah, yeah. so you know I, w- i won't be surprised if that's what he's also referring to oh i think with that's a, a fact 
you know that uh, when you highlight and when you identify key pillars of uh, Europe and the Western world and say, look, these are the, these are what we are epitomized to try and be, uh, then it shows you the level uh, that the people or what he's trying to promote. Uh, and I think this is something again that people really need to look behind uh, the snapshot words or, or the slogans and really delve into what they're trying to push. Uh, and it is that transformation. Uh, we have our own rich history as Muslims. Why would you need to promote uh, the Western world? Exactly. Uh, you know, uh, it's been quoted in, in <laughs> I've read in, in history when these in, in Europe and England, they had cesspits as their gardens. And the Muslims were building gardens over a thousand years ago. Exactly. Uh, so uh, when you try and say that the West has a richer history than yourself, then really you haven't understood Islam yeah. and you've never even understood your own history. So if you think about it, right, uh, and if you maybe look at, just say, the, uh, I might go slightly back to GMEI, Greater Middle East Initiative for those who don't uh, know about this. Uh, but what I would say is that don't take too much into the name because they may rename this. But the main point is, is that this is the plan that America has to spread democracy and, and secularism in the Muslim lands. So what we can see then is that even in 2004, when this plan was leaked, they say, there was actually resistance from the same puppets who America had in those in lands. Why? Because a few reasons. One of them being the fact that, you know, um, the change would have to look like it's happening from within. It's not being imposed. And the other one was the fact that if these change went through, this actually brought the would have brought the end of the time of the dictators because there would have been democracy, second the elections, they would definitely absolutely, not be absolutely. voted absolutely. these dictators, yeah. right? So what we see is that then we see the Arab Spring happen. Okay, we see the Arab Spring happen where some of these people were toppled over. And in fact, this was a warning sign to the other leaders in the in the, in the in the land because with the Great Middle East Initiative, it's one plan for the whole of the Muslim lands, but the styles of execution will differ will differ country by country. Okay. So what we then see is that when the Arab Springs happen, some of these leaders, whether it was the King of Morocco and these places, they started to initiate reforms. Okay. Um, so now I feel that you know now you have like this uh, you know the um, the guillotine is now you know hanging over the heads of the 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 current rulers that now if you don't if you don't push through the reforms that we've been wanting you to do all these decades ago you're next and in Saudi Arabia if you think about it Subhanallah that's one place where people say it's the land of the Tawheed and it's also meant to be that religious type of place where some of these reforms you would not imagine that they would go through. That's where you, you know, that's where you bring in someone like uh, MBS, okay, this young guy, you know, who's got this vision and now who goes against the, the, the grain, okay, they, they, they remove uh, uh, that uh, Nayef, is it Nayef bin? Yeah. Uh, uh, remove Mohammed bin Nayef, they remove him, you know, and uh, now from what I was reading is that before where the power was distributed with a lot of the princes, now this guy, uh, MBS, has a very small team where he's he's controlling this. So what we see then is that the resistance in that land, in fact now I think that they're going 100 miles per hour ahead. What it's related to, that's why GME comes back quite conveniently to Saudi Arabia, is that now the people on the ground, especially because Arab Springs happened, there'll be those people who, you know, there's probably some people who are kind of going, oh, we do want more freedom. They've been tainted by Western society. There's had that effect on them. But those people who are completely against this, and like you said, the, probably the majority are completely against this, like the Jeddah Fest you mentioned at the beginning, you know, having these concerts with these despicable people coming and doing, you know, all sorts of things so close to the so close to the haram and stuff like this you know look it's in jeddah this is within the mikat, the mikat. Yeah. so you know within jeddah having these and you like you said earlier these are like the headline things there's other stuff going on 
the, you know, whether it's the boxing, whether it's free mixing happening in some places, the videos were flooded on Twitter of, of, of you know, uh, pictures of what was happening at the Jeddah Fest and things like this. So this stuff is happening, but you know, if there's some people who are against this, that because Arab Spring has happened, they're thinking, if we uprise, what, what if what happened over there, their situation is worse now than it was before the uprising, and then that might happen to us. And then you're getting, and I won't mention names, but then you're getting some people that when you're dis discussing with them and you're saying, look, this is what the leaders are doing and you're telling us not to speak out against these leaders. This is what this plan is and you're telling us not to speak out against this plan. Why? It's just because you think that if we don't speak, you think what's going to happen in the Arab lands is going to happen here. So that's why we should shut up and we shouldn't say anything. But all you're doing is you're promoting this stuff through silence. And, and that's not that's not permissible. But the thing is, is what they're showing now and I just just throw this in, is that what do you expect the normal person to think? Why? Because they've done uh, they've done maneuvers that was unheard of or unthinkable. For example, the amount of high level, very prominent ulama mm -hmm. worldwide had worldwide followings that threw him in jail. Yeah, I mean that that, that that's not the only element. There's I looked into this, and there's they've probably got something what they call their top ten reforms. And it was interesting because I looked at some of them and I thought, wow, I never thought that would actually ever happen. Uh, one of them is, you know, it's seen as like a normal thing, the women driving ban. It's like, well, yeah, that's, that's seen as, yeah, well, you know, sisters should be allowed to drive. You know, of course they should be allowed to drive, not a problem. Obviously, who's going to drop the kids off school, isn't it? You'd, be, you'd, you'd have a problem there, wouldn't you, brother? No, no, I wouldn't. I'd drop them off myself. <laughs> but... That was just one of them. But what they're doing is systematically, law by law, uh, things that have uh, allowed... Uh, you know, in the Muslim lands, one of the things that uh, the kuffar were not able to do is to uh, destroy those uh, laws and those rules and the morals that the Muslims had surrounding the families. So social, what you're saying is the social, social order, system, yeah. the social, social system. system pretty much stayed intact. How men and women interact, you know, how the social, the stigmas, the things that are frowned upon. You need uh, uh, your uh, mahram. Uh, mahram. You know, all these things, uh, even after the, the destruction of the Islamic State, these things stayed in place. And the, the, the man of the household would make sure that these, these rules, because obviously he's accountable for how his house is run, they stayed in place. But now what you're doing is these little things to challenge... It's not about the driving. The element is now is I have a right to drive. Who are you to stop me to drive? Now? The freedoms. The freedom. And this isn't the only thing they came out with the uh, uh, separate entrances into cinemas. Cinemas have been banned in Saudi for quite a decades. decades yeah. For decades. Now they allow the cinemas and separate entrances. So people think, okay, yeah, the sister's entrance and the brother's entrance. But once they get into the main cinema thing, they could sit as they wanted to. So uh, they had uh, the first Comic Con, you know, superheroes being shown there. As if we're not, you know, short of our own superheroes. Is it not befitting to talk about Ali radiallahu anhu, Umar radiallahu Abu Bakr Siddiq? We have our own heroes. We don't need fake heroes like the West in order to give themselves some sort of importance or targets to aspire to. Or, you, or even Captain Majid. Yeah, he's a captain. I'm not about myself. I'm not about myself. Yeah, Captain Magic. He's like a, you know how you have Roy of the Rovers here. Okay, uh, this okay. guy was like an amazing footballer. It's, it's comic. It's very in 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 uh, in Saudi and yeah. in, and in Egypt in Muslim. Captain Majid. Yeah, is very famous. I'm not about myself. Okay, <laughs> so I'm just just turning that out. You know okay, it's <laughs> good that he's called Captain Majid as well, though. Yeah, convenient. Um, even even the the, the ban on on cinemas. They want to come out with a, a, a beach, yeah. you know, a beach that is regulated by international standards. What, what does that mean? Yeah. Regulated by international standards. It's not just a beach; it's a whole city. It's yeah. like something. I think a neon, no, the, the, the neon beach was the, the beach was specific, yeah. as in to allow international yeah, people yeah, that's what they said, that's and what they said, tourists. Yeah. So the the, the city the itself, yeah, will be so yeah. Do you know what that yeah. land yeah. is? The land of Tabuk, where yeah. the Battle of Tabuk, Tabuk is. That, yeah, in the fort. Subhanallah. Yeah. Look at that. Yeah. 
But when you're saying international standards, well, who sets these international standards? It certainly isn't the Muslims. But when they say international standards, yeah. that what that means is that, um, you know, alcohol, yeah. uh, bikinis, you know. But what they're trying to say is that, yeah, but the Muslims don't need to go there. Mm. Yeah. If you want to go there, it means that you want to be abided by the you want to abide by the international standards. That's correct. But you don't have to go there. But this is not for you. This is for investors and stuff like that. You know, that's the sort of picture they paint. Yeah. And it, like you know how we talked about the concerts and they, they're, now they're doing this Jeddah Fest. Well, in 2017, and this is how the Kuffar have formulated their plan, and this is the way people should be looking at it. You do something which uh, may go against the grain. But the first concert they had in 2017 was an all-female concert. Yeah, 100%. Okay? So now you've right. got the all, you've got that, you, you ramp it up bit by bit. You don't, you can't just throw it out there, we're going to do this, or this is how it's going to work. You ramp it up bit by bit. And this is how it's always been done historically as well. Uh, in the 60s, in Saudi, there were no TVs. TVs were banned as well. Okay. Yeah? So, uh, when... Okay, so, so, so do you not think then... That they are pushing these uh, reforms or this 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 uh, this type of kufrization. Yeah. That they're pushing it at a speed a which is not. I mean, none of it's natural anyway, because yeah. it's the Muslim lands. But they're pushing at it because if you're saying 2017 it was just women. Yeah. And 2019, uh, like I said the crowd called in Adele. Yeah. The crowd called in somebody else, but they call in from all people Nicki Minaj, and that's like a massive jump. Okay, so. You know, do you think that this is? I mean, it's doomed to fail anyway because Allah says that you know Allah will destroy and and and, and destroy the the falsehood. But do you think that uh, this is something which is just to show the world, yeah, we're doing reforms, or do you think it's something which is going to ultimately fail because of the, the how the pace of the the change is not going to be acceptable? You can look at it two ways. One way would be that they're really trying to force the agenda. You know, there's time now. They're really trying to force the agenda. Uh, they've had a free reign. Let's, you know, let's be fair about this. Since the destruction of the Islamic State, they've had a free reign on the Muslim lands. They've carved it up. They've shared it amongst themselves. They've taken the wealth of the Ummah that belongs to the Ummah and they've used it how they wanted to. They've had a free reign for so long that it's unbelievable. And yet still, they cannot get Muslims to turn away from Islam. You know, still Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala shows his blessing upon the Muslim ummah and still protects them. But again, it, you can look at it from that point of view, but you can also look at it from the point of view that, you know, they, they, they've had, they always have a plan for 20, 30 years. You know, when I was highlighting about the 60s is, there were objection within, within the actual uh, land of Saudi Arabia. There was objection to TVs being on there. And the way he got around it was, he put an ulama on there, to recite Quran. Fair enough. And said, look, how can you say this is a bad thing? Okay, so the resistance to TV is from the normal people. Again, yeah. And the, and, and, and the scholars. You, you know, we could go into a completely different podcast and look at the, the whole history of Saudi and how that... I think now, the reliance and the dependency is moving away from the ulama in Saudi. For legitimacy. For legitimacy. Yeah, yeah. 100%. Because initially when that uh, false state was created, you needed that legitimacy. You needed some sort of legitimacy. It didn't have its own fully functioning army. It didn't have masses of wealth to distribute. So you needed someone to give you legitimacy in the land. And that came from the ulama because obviously the, the, the Muslims respected the opinions of the scholars. And now... As you quite highlighted quite clearly, any objection, a new law that came out, you know, King Salman's come out with a new law saying anyone who objects against the king is thrown into prison. That's actually a new law. That's part of their law now. Anyone who, who says anything bad about the king will be thrown into prison. So you can imagine that hanging over your head. So this is the level that they need to go. So where is the transparency? Where is the freedom to speak like this? These are just fallacies of the West to uh, dupe the minds of the masses that this is what they really want to give when that isn't what they want to give at the end because as you said if you gave that to the masses well they gave that didn't they to to the people of Egypt and to the people of, of Algeria in the past and the and the people spoke and they wanted Islam and what happened straight away the hammer came down 
to stop all this. So now, obviously, let's say they are they are coming with all these other little elements, but you have to do them incrementally. And if you do them incrementally, what happens is you it also allows the West to gauge uh, what the public reaction is. Yes. Okay. So when you're doing a small amount, well, what's the real reaction? And then they'll have think tanks and 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 consultancy groups. Well, what's the worst that could happen from this scenario? Uh, that, that one's really important yeah. because today a lot of this kind of um, looking at where pub, pub, kind of popular opinion or public opinion is is very much done on things like social media. So they'll again the Nicki Minaj thing may even be an element of if we put something out there that people are so against, we'll be able to gauge a public reaction on platforms like Twitter and things like that just to see what people are saying because this gives us an indication of where we are on that line. And give them something less. Give them, and then afterwards, this is exactly what happened. So I was speaking to a brother, and it was like, okay, but. Apparently, there his view was that the Saudis themselves rejected her, and I was like, "Brother, you know, come on, at least, at least look into the facts." She pulled out. It wasn't mm-hmm. that they, they wanted her there. She pulled out, and that his view was we rejected her, and even in itself is a bit. Maybe she applied for uh, uh, Umrah visa as well, so that got rejected. Yeah, maybe. No, that takes longer, brother. It's quicker to get. A okay, tourist you can visa get now. a tourist visa in three minutes yeah. flat. To go to the Jeddah yeah. Fest. But the Umrah won't Umrah take won't. <laughs> Exactly. <laughs> Allahu Akbar. Allahu Akbar indeed. But this is it. So sometimes the sentiment on the ground, they test it using kind of different mechanisms to maybe in the past. Yeah. So I think that's part of it. So like you said, then they can give something less and maybe people will go, well, it's not as bad as having Nicki Minaj here. At least we got someone who isn't as despicable as that person. But again, what all is all that's doing is yeah. there'll be those people on the ground who are going, look, we need to come out into the 20th century and all of this kind of stuff but then the majority of Muslims there must be feeling completely you know engulfed by all of this thinking how can we get around this thing is is you know I, I, I have contacts from 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 that land mm-hmm. and subhanallah you know it's quite refreshing uh, that when you speak to normal people you know, their view is that you're 90 this is their words 98% of the people totally despise their, their kings now and these people in the past would have actually been uh, Islamic, but at the same time they would have been very nationalistic towards the the Saudi king and stuff like this, because he's the custodian of the the two holy mosques and they they feed the you know the uh, the pilgrims and look after them etc etc. But the 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 mood is changing and on on that Nicki Minaj thing, another one, another angle I was thinking is that if you think about on what grounds she uh, refused was the fact that. On how LGBT and all these homosexuality and stuff like that is treated, mm-hmm. so that also throws out that okay, for us to become this this place that we want to get to, there needs to be some social reforms that we have to make to so that people like this who are you know the the, the people that are trending, mm-hmm. that they don't have any reason uh, to not to come because Saudi is on the same level as as, as Europe as, as well. They wants that land to be the Middle East to be. Uh, the new Europe. So what what they're, what what they're trying to do really is to affect the psyche of the Muslims. Yeah. You know these things are straight out haram. That's it, and the the Muslims should be proud enough to say that. Look, Allah says it's haram, it's haram. You know, but th- to affect the psyche of saying, look, because of your negative mindset towards these these communities, these LGBT communities, uh, it's having a negative impact. On you, and it's trying to affect the the Muslim to think. Well, I shouldn't at least talking about it. I shouldn't mention it. I should accept it. We shouldn't accept it. We know exactly what Allah Subhanahu Wa Taala's position is, and that's our position. And uh, again, it's refreshing that you said that you've spoken to spoken to people there. But again, I, I think people need to be clear that it's these subtle little Change. little changes yeah, that they, they want to bring in. Uh, the the success of this. We don't know how long it's going to take or what what impact it will have. But obviously Muslims should be aware and should speak out against it. And in any platform, in their milieus and amongst their families and friends and be clear that this is uh, not what they're trying to make out to be. And if you look at it just from a historical perspective, that they've always done this in the past. In the, When Britain was a colonial superpower and it went into uh, the Indian subcontinent, uh, it created the East India Company yeah. for trading because that was their way of exploiting and looting the wealth of the Ummah. And not only that, under the guise of uh, how they got in there in the first place, 
is because the ummah by that time had in certain areas were illiterate so they felt they, they were being helped they were being helped mm-hmm. so the guys was that we're going to open up schools and we're going to open up universities for you but you don't need to do that now because the children of the ummah are the ones who have the most phd's and the doctors mm-hmm. and the engineers we've got all those scientists and we don't need that uh, element of help anymore but what you do need help is your economies aren't at their fullest potential so we can help you develop your economies when they're talking about increasing gdp to the level of from where it is at the moment to 1.87 trillion you know making it into the top 10 economies of the world uh, i mean it doesn't help the children of the ummah it's only going to line the the pockets of well it was being like you know it will be used to line their pockets as well but it's also being pitched as that that uh, our uh, population is going to be benefiting from this from, from you know you won't be needing handouts anymore what you'll be doing is you'll be actually you'll be self sufficient yeah well even kind of improving the economy of the likes of some of these middle eastern countries that wealth how is it it hasn't benefited the muslims in the past all mm-hmm. it does is benefit their wars in yemen mm-hmm. it benefits the foreign policy of western capitalist nations in our muslim lands so even if we talk about improving the economy all it's doing is helping them but i think in regards to your point you know what they they're using this thing and the west call it a generational struggle yeah so this is what they do they're very clever they recognize you can't change things overnight yeah so what they do is they go okay we implement something and over time that will bear fruit so what happens it's like almost like this conveyor belt theory so what they'll do is they'll they'll try something implement a little bit of it and over time so for instance that city that they're talking about building that neom city or something which international law and stuff like that once that's there and okay they can say well dubai is like that already but once it's there over generations mm-hmm. okay the there'll be certain brothers that will say oh we won't we won't go there or but they'll even they'll back the government and go okay well the government needs to make money somehow so that we remain strong as an entity we won't go there we'll let non-muslims come there and we'll make money from them but what that does is all that will happen is over time it's corrupting the muslims in those the mindset, areas yeah. there's people that live there mm-hmm. there's bedouins that are still living there now like we say this is the land of where the battle of tabuk took place there's people that are there and this all it does is have an influence on the muslims in that area and that conveyor belt that generational struggle that is taking place the the west know this very well and one of the problems i think muslims sometimes have is personalities and the reason why it's linked is we mentioned like george w bush then we, and he he's we're talking about obviously the the gmei and things like that but at the same time just because he had one style and he was talking about it x number of years ago and then obama came in and people like warmed to him because he had a different style so they thought he was okay and then trump came in and he's this despicable islamophobe and therefore we have this view against them actually the underlying generational targeting of muslim lands has that changed at all if anything under obama, under obama we saw plenty of this kind of these kind of projects happening and the bombing of muslim lands arguably more than under trump but i think in muslim psyche as you mentioned we need to be aware that this is taking place and not be on the back foot constantly and going oh it's inevitable we can't do anything about it i think it doesn't matter whether the the democrats or the republics i think uh, brother malcolm x put it <laughs> put it best way that uh, one of them is a wolf and shows his teeth snarling at you and the other one is a fox uh he doesn't show his teeth and he just smiles at you but ultimately they're both going to eat you <laughs> and they actually both show their teeth <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah one smiling and one snarling at you but they're both going to eat you and you know so actually I was going to make that po- I was going to make that point about the generational thing because today people might re- uh, reject it uh, you know at the end day the, the new generation the new you know how how things are going you know that their hope is Man, this is why i made this, the, this be, is why yeah. i made the point about the tv i know it says it's, it's a small thing but yeah. now it's a norm yeah, yeah it's yeah, a complete yeah, norm yeah. at the time yeah. the ulama did reject it the ulama were saying we don't want this because it can corrupt the youth so it was actually being pitched that look it's corruption now it's, it's a norm is there's not is to say that all oh, the tv was you know it's not allowed i'm not saying that but the whole issue was how they bought in little things and how over generational things these become norm the same thing was said about in uh, in, in egypt when sharm el sheik came out or bashar el sheik as the people used Bishar to call it and it's now it's like oh yeah that's just uh, another tourist destination tourist, isn't it yeah. for westerns yeah okay i won't go there 
But yeah, we, we accept, we know why, but the, the next generation of children, for them, it's a norm. Yeah. For them, it's just a, oh yeah, that, that must, that's a tourist place. Yeah, and this has happened historically. You know, even if you look at the, when Islam came, people sometimes, when they read the seerah and stuff like that and look at history of Islam, they go, how was it that in, in, in Mecca and in the Arab lands, there were people who, some had kind, they still had belief in Tawheed, yeah. but they were still idol worshipping. Yeah. But, you know, if you look at the history, a lot of that came about because over time, people had lost that clarity of vision mm-hmm. that even though those were the lands where the prophets came that brought Tawheed, mm-hmm. over time, people kind of went, well, all right, well, we co- we'll bring something which represents Allah. You know, we'll put something there. And at first, people rejected it. Oh, that's the idol. We can't worship that. But over time, things get normalized. And, you know, after generations, people forget the fact that, okay, if it was my grandparents that did something, because, you know, in Islam, this is more difficult because we have the Quran and the Sunnah to protect us. But it happened prior to that. And it was because over generations, these corrupted thoughts kind of almost bear fruit. And the West understand that as well as anybody else. And they plant that in our lands in order for it to germinate into the things that we see today. No, no, subhanAllah, exactly. And, uh, you know, I think uh, just to quickly add to that is even at the time, the Arabs, uh, the pagan Arabs, they knew who built the Kaaba. Mm-hmm. They knew about Ismail and Islam and stuff like that. So, okay. So what we can then say is that the Saudi Vision 2030 is actually America's Saudi Vision 2030. Uh, uh, right? Let me but just let me just find, let me just I'll, very quickly. Let me just quickly clear it up and I'll tell you why. Okay, I'll tell you why it is. So why it's an American plan is that uh, McKinsey and Co. is an American consultancy group that wrote a report for which country? Saudi Arabia, and the report was called. Saudi Arabia Beyond Oil, the Investment and Productivity Transformation. And pretty much Vision 2030 is exactly the same thing. Pretty much. You can download it. You can have a look at it. It's pretty much. And they're an American consultancy group who actually advises the Saudi government on reforms. So that's why we're clearly saying to make it clear to everybody that it is actually an American plan. And there is the detail of that plan if you want to be able to look at it. The Vision 2030 is the fine-tuning of that same yeah, plan. It's the packaging, it's of, the packaging that of that plan for Saudi Arabia. SubhanAllah, so what we could do uh, for the uh, for our uh, audience is maybe just, uh, you know, uh, put that in the comments field or within the title. Obviously, there are some people who are so blind that uh, they won't believe it. But I think for general uh, masses, I think that's that's quite important. So, so 100% what you're saying. And, and what we can see is that it isn't just that. For example, Qatar has a national vision 2020. Mm-hmm. Bahrain, Kuwait, Abu Dhabi, they have a, a vision 2030. Uh, Oman has a vision 2020 and is also working on his vision 2040. So subhanAllah, <laughs> what we can see is that, you know, MBS isn't just the, the only player there. MBZ, Mohammed bin Zaid. Uh, yeah. Yeah. He's also, uh, he's probably... Him and MBS are probably vying for being the number one stooge, yeah. uh, American stooge in that land. Um, but, you know, we can see then clearly there's this plan. What else um, is Saudi being used for, Saudi Arabia? Because the thing is, a lot of people, there are those people who will will support, um, I, I, I might say this and you might think this is hardcore, but I'm telling you, after speaking to some people, right, you know, if some of these artists played a, had a concert at the Haram, I still think there's some people that you'd come across who would make excuses for these rulers. That's how blind some of these people are, yeah. right? But generally, what That's we can yeah, yeah, so, subhanAllah, you know, and Rush, you were saying earlier, you spoke to people like this as well, right? But what we can see is that, um, you know, Saudi Arabia, um, purely because of the fact of Mecca and Medina in the past, has been able to try to do many things where uh, normal people have said, well, that's where Mecca and Medina is. But, you know, if we look at the, the other stuff that's happening, we mentioned all these, you know, Nicki Minaj and 50 Cent and, and all these people. But subhanAllah, you know, what about what's going on in Yemen? You know, there was one, uh, there was, I was listening to a khutbah when this guy came and, you know, he said, subhanAllah, that a friend of his went to Yemen for charity. This guy did charity, right? He says, when I went there, he goes, there were people that were walking. He goes, to me, they were like stickmen. Yeah, stickmen. And he says that I went to this one hospital where, you know, uh, 
they wanted to show me this guy who was on his deathbed. And the guy said that he grabbed my hand and he goes, SubhanAllah, it felt like just bones. He grabbed my hand and before his last breath, he said, please help us. Right? So you know, these are the same people that are, that are doing this. These are the same people who uh, allow the you know, Americans to uh, have their bases there. These are the same people where the drones have been going from and, and assassinating and killing Muslims in the region. You know, it's in 2015, they've had between 16 to 20,000 raids on Yemen. That's individual. 16 to 20,000 raids. It's, it's sickening to know that. And to quote uh, MBS, he said, in any military campaign, mistakes happen. Any mistakes are unintended. It's like a joke, the, you know, a Muslim child dies. You know, when Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says that one drop Muslim. of Muslim blood is more than the Kaaba and its surroundings. You know, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala views one drop and they willy-nilly just drop bombs left, right and center, completely destroyed Yemen as if it was nothing. As if it was nothing. When 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 the tyranny of the so-called leaders of the Muslim land is at that level, it shows you how corrupt they are and who they are in league with and who they are fighting the wars for. Well, even, I'll mention that as well in a second, but even that highlights just how much of a role Saudi is playing for Western powers because regardless of them doing that, and it's worth talking about the Jamal Khashoggi kind of killing as well, regardless of them doing these things, the, the nations that promote themselves on freedoms and liberty and justice and all of these isms and the, the nations that promote it are still backing them. Why? Because they carry out strategic objectives in the region. They carry out the, the, the ones that you, you, you mentioned already. Yes. First of all, the deal of the century. So Saudi is aiding that project for, for the, for Israel. First of all, for Israel to be normalized in the region. Important point. Mm. Exactly. To, to completely wipe Palestine off the map. Yeah. Mm. So Saudi is completely in bed with that. The whole, and that's not just Saudi. That's just that's the other leaders of the, like the the Middle Eastern countries and the UAE and the and the rest. Yeah. So those things are happening. But then when things like the Jamal Khashoggi thing happens, and there might be some people that are against it, you know, in some of like you know in in the equivalent of the Congress mm-hmm. in Congress in America, there's people who are against helping Saudi. But what's happening is like Trump is coming along and going. It doesn't matter that he's. Ca- kind of assassinated and dismembered this person in a foreign consulate we're still going to support him because why because they're still carrying out their objectives in the reason in the region so all of this is happening and you know even against turkey all of these kind of conflicts that are happening in the region who who's carrying them out it's it's saudi arabia Mm. what what about the uh the Shia and Saudi. Uh, that's the Sunni. biggest of them all, isn't it? Yeah. So, and I think that is the most strategic issue the, to make sure that they have a strong Saudi Arabia. And this is where it links back to the economy as well. Because to allow Saudi, it's like to allow your biggest puppet to become weak when you need them in a war against, you know, to make sure Islam doesn't arise in its purest form in a region. What do you need to do? You need to create a conflict. Conflict. And if you've got one tool and all of a sudden that tool is weakening for whatever reason, Mm. it's not because they're running out of oil, but it might be because oil isn't as easy to swing in terms of global markets as it was before. So now we need to strengthen that land so they can carry on that sectarian conflict in the region. Well, look at what they did with the uh, the, the, the spat that they had with Qatar. Yeah. Yeah. That was there to create a, a divide in the Gulf Cooperation uh, Organization. So now uh, the Saudis actually had a plan to infiltrate ground troops mm. into Qatar. So that creates more division, division in the Ummah. So instead of uniting and having a unified front in the region, you've uh, dismembered them. So it's not a single voice anymore. Everyone's got their own choice. Saudi's choice will be, yeah, we're going to align with Israel, bring him into normality, increase his trade. Even half of this whole whole uh, 2030 vision is all linked about trade in the region, the whole hub. He doesn't just talk about Saudi, he's talking about the region itself. And they include uh, Israel. Israel in that. Exactly. So it shows you that they, they are the, the biggest sellouts. They've sold out the Ummah. 
they sold out Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, they sold out Islam. It is to that level of treachery. And, uh, and this is historical. historical. And even the Qatar thing is worth, well worth kind of exploring because that was the same issue that, you know, what were the, the, the ones, the scholars who had like massive followings on Twitter, Al-Qarni and stuff on, and they had huge followings on social media. And all they said is we should do dua for our, you know, for unity between yeah. the Muslim lands. Yeah. And the, immediately they're chucked in prison. Yeah. So this is where the Muslims, they, and I know this might be something to tackle right at the end of the discussion, but the Muslims need to be aware mm. that if they just leave these scholars to be able to fight some degree of a battle, even though they can't mm. and do nothing themselves, then all that will happen is anybody with some prominence who speaks out against the ruler, just get executed. they just get executed. Yeah. This is why you can't follow this strategy of wherever this kind of methodology has come from, where you sit quietly as a sheep in your house and let the scholars try and fight the battle, battle for you. Yeah. you need to yeah. you need to stand up you need to speak you need to support the call of allah so actually that's that's leading into uh, you know uh, maybe uh, the final uh, thing we need to discuss really is that you know um, how dangerous then is vision 2030 is this something that we really think is going to succeed they're going to get away with it what should the ummah be doing to uh, to stop this plan and if it was successful what would this mean for the region it's a bit of a loaded one, but I think <laughs> I think it's important that we discuss discuss a few things because at the end of the day, I think it's important to to end our podcasts with some sort of you know a call to action as such, you know, rather than just you know just whining about something like you you and that's why I cut you short because yeah, I'm already trying to answer you know, your question. You're yeah. already trying to answer my question. The fact <laughs> that you know we know that we know this vision is is uh, I'm probably gonna answer a bit of it myself but we know this vision is is dangerous we don't need to spend too much time on that we, we know this from a, from a social point of view and as Shaz mentioned the fact that the the social aspect is something that you know the kuffar were not able to infiltrate but this is what they're trying to do now um, but as Muslims you know what is it that uh, we should be doing because as we mentioned this isn't just a Saudi vision 2030. This is America's Vision 2030, but this is not just America's Saudi Vision 2030. This is America's vision of the Muslim world altogether for forever. That's right. So as Muslims, what is it that you know we can be doing? What can we be advising for the people in Saudi, for the people in the region, and for the people, Muslims, that maybe are residing in the West? You know, one thing, there's an analogy based on that question, you know, and I might not do it justice, but you know where there's, you must have come, people have done different versions of this, where they go, they're coming for the other country, they're not coming for me, so I'll do nothing. And then it comes to another neighbour and, it, okay, it's not happening. You know, they've done it with like, oh, they came for the Brailvi, so therefore I, it doesn't concern me. They came I'm not, for I'm the... Not I'm not Brailvi, that's the one. They yeah. came for the Diabundis, that doesn't concern me, I'm not Diabundi. And eventually it's like, okay, it's going to come to me at some point. Are we so blinded that we're... Is, there's even that picture, isn't there, of the Ummah sitting watching a TV or chickens, all the countries kind of represented as chickens and they've got a TV in front of them with a, another chicken being grilled. Yeah, Actually, just, the, the good example, which I'm not going to give because it's a bit, quite long, is the, the example of the four cows. Okay, yeah, that's a big... Exactly. So it's about the strength of unity, but also I think the, the analogy is almost that just because it's happening in Saudi, and even, okay, just because there might be an equivalent vision somewhere else, that we should be quiet and go, okay, it's not happening in our country or it doesn't affect us here in the West or whatever. Being quiet, being silent on the issue is probably the main message to people is if you be silent this this kind of project that they have which is we try to tackle right from the beginning which is a wider project to be silent on that means that that the implementation will kind of escalate and may be successful so we need to speak out against it we need to kind of highlight to people that not to understand to understand it just as the apparent which is it's an economic project because if we think it's economic then we won't realize some of the social reforms that they're using to destroy the social aspect of islam is going to bear fruit for them whether it is happens overnight or whether it happens in 20 30 50 years it might happen so all of a sudden this is very important for us to make sure people aren't silent that would be my first kind of message so you know when the war on terror sorry i keep making that mistake the war on islam started um uh, one one of the things I remember hearing from uh, a lot of lot of Muslims was that Pakistan towed the line because if they didn't, then America would have attacked it, yeah. and America would have have uh, displaced Pakistan's strength and and would have caused problems for Pakistan. 
well, obviously, now you can see how Pakistan is bearing the fruits <laughs> of that non-attack. You know, it, it will do what is best. Every country, especially when it's a, a global leader, will do what it serves its interests. So Muslims shouldn't be thinking, this is in our interest. Look at the perspective of whose interest is this really in? And this is really in the interest of the West. Corrupting the youth, corrupting the Muslim ummah, there's no benefit for us. How does it change the, 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 the state or the position that the Muslims have found themselves in now? Where has, what has happened to, when if you look at uh, the statements of uh, Umar bin al-Khattab who said, it wasn't us that gave Islam honor, Islam gave us the honor. Yeah. So what what's happened to those people? So they should be looking at that. They should be discussing. We should be teaching our children. We should be speaking amongst in our families, in our milieus, taking to social media. You know, we have this in this. We have the luxury in this country of having to be able to use it without it being banned straight away. So we should be doing more. We should be speaking out against this and making sure and highlighting it to Muslims what this really is. And it's going back to what I said at the beginning, straight up. Kufurization of the Muslim lands. And we shouldn't be sitting about idly waiting for somebody else to try and take on this battle. It's a battle for all of us. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala is going to question all of us on this matter. And it's something that we should all be doing. Whatever little it is, whatever you think it, you need to get involved and make sure that we don't allow the kufar to be able to spread their filth into the Muslim lands. I would also say it's down to capability. So again, it was a discussion that I was having is that the kind of concept when you argue against these issues that are happening, especially Vision 2030, is that people will say, I oh, just hate it in your heart. Yeah, as if it's some kind of an option. Yeah. And it's based on the hadith where the Prophet wasallam says, if there's something, we yeah, hate it, it in our heart. heart. You know, we, okay, we change it with our hands if we are capable. We speak out against it if we are capable. Or we hate it's it in our heart, which is the yeah. weakest form of Iman. Yeah. The, the key message here, though, isn't something that you choose. You don't choose to hate it in your heart because you think, okay, you know, that's all I'm going to do. You do what you are yeah, capable yeah, of doing. Yeah. And like the brother said, is that in today's day and age, in the relative security and comfort that we are in, to not speak out against it when we can, that is negligent. And this is a, diff this is a difficult message that the Ummah need to, and as Muslims we need to kind of come to the reality of, is that where we can speak out against these things. And I'm not even saying speak out in public forums if you don't have the opportunity. At least speak with other brothers and sisters. What ends up happening is nowadays, this Western secular society has affected us so much that when we are in gatherings, we end up speaking about football and cricket and this and business. that entertainment yeah. and business and stuff. Okay, that we can speak about that. It's permissible. But to solely speak about those things when things like this are so important completely neg negligent and I think this is where as an ummah as Muslims we definitely need to to carry out some action yeah subhanallah um, you know the, what you guys said there spot on and you know in the past people have there have been people vocal where you know maybe it's the fact that they've converted the the prophet sallallahu alaihi wasallam's house where he was born in into whatever and the library and you know but the reality is is that Okay, fair enough. We have uh, like some sort of sentimental, you know, attachment connection, to attachment to these places. You know, even the Uthmani uh, uh, infra infrastructure that was there, they've destroyed it. Okay, fair enough. But right now, what they're trying to do is they're trying to change Islam and trying to export it from what is, you know, mainly known as the heart of Islam, i.e., the place where the, the two holy masjids are. So right now, you know, if we in the past maybe were vocal about some building that was demolished subhanallah right now they're attempting to demolish islam and this is something which we need to be involved in and the stuff that the the, the things that you guys have mentioned is something subhanallah which uh, is in our capability you know um, it, it's a shame if we don't utilize the blessings that allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has given us with security with with peace uh, with time, with the you know the technology we have, if we do less than those people who have restrictions over them, and they use what they what they do have, whilst we have all these opportunities, but we don't utilize you know these things. Um, you know, uh, very quickly, inshallah, I want to yeah. wrap this up. 
Any any final thoughts? My final thought is that look, Gufar doesn't set any boundaries. Gufar does not care whether it's Mecca or whether it's Medina. Okay? This is something which is dear to the hearts and minds of Muslims, the followers of Iman. And for Kufr, they don't care about us and they don't care about our lands and they certainly don't care about those things which are close to the, 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 Muslim, the children of the Muslim Ummah. So I think people need to be clear that in the mindset, people, people in the past will say, oh, they'll, 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 never, they'll never go for Mecca and they'll never go for Medina. They, they, they won't go for those places. They, they, you know, there'll be too much uproar, etc. But with this strategy of coming in uh, incrementally, uh, this is their way of injecting kufr into the hearts of the Muslim lands. My last couple of points. I'll be quite quickly couple, with a okay. couple, but they're quick ones, just for, for people to take away more than anything else. First and foremost, we didn't tackle this, but it's worth mentioning for people to take away, is that a lot of the times people kind of support like some of these countries and stuff without really looking at the history mm. so they should look at what where mm. saudi came about how they had a, uh, they were involved in the destruction of the islamic khilafah i think that's a that's a, that's a chance for even a, a bigger that's podcast, a podcast to be honest in itself, you, yeah. but it's strange the number of people you still yeah. come across yeah. that will go oh i didn't know they were involved in mm. that so even the same people that say thingy the rulers you know don't speak out against the rulers these are the same rulers that went Bandits. against the Muslims themselves and went against the, the legitimate Islamic mm. rulers. Mm. And you're now telling us not to speak out against the illegitimate Islamic rulers. Just doesn't make, just doesn't make sense. And that's something that Definitely. separate podcast and arguably something people should be mm. looking at themselves. And also another last point is that, you know, the West, they recognize that Muslims in non-Muslim lands, in the Western lands, they do influence Muslims in in Muslim lands, yeah, yeah? yeah. So, for us to think that we can't do anything in kind of outside is is flawed because they, the West themselves, in their think tanks and in their way of analysing, they recognise that if we secularise Muslims outside, that has a bearing on the Muslim lands. If we influence Muslims via social media and all of these things, that will have effect on Muslims in the Muslim lands as well. So. We shouldn't just go, okay, we can't do anything from here. And I think that's very important as well. Okay, subhanAllah, time's running out. Uh, I want to ask one very, very important question to you guys, and I want a quick answer. Are you still going to follow Saudi for moon sighting? <laughs> <laughs> that, was, that was a joke. Okay, I thought uh, you'd ask yeah. me what I'm having for dinner, but anyway. Okay. No, no, but so, subhanAllah, uh, to the viewers out there, you know, this is a, a very important topic. Inshallah, all we do is scratch the surface. You know, um, it's very important that you, you know, look into yourself. You know, this is something which should be close to our hearts. You know, we are talking about the land of our messenger, Muhammad Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam, the land of Tawheed. And, you know, and not just that land. Let's not, let's not restrict it to that land. The reality is, is, this, is an, uh, this is a plan for the entire Muslim lands. Uh, so, inshallah, it'll be good really to uh, get some feedback get some of your con comments see what you think whether you agree whether you disagree you know so engagement is very important for us and also as you can see that even through these podcasts we come across other topics which actually can be podcasts within themselves but what would be very good as well is if you if there's a topic that you think is worth us you know having discussion about get in contact let us know inshallah ta'ala and that's the best way forward and subhanallah you know to sort of wrap you up there what i would say final message is that you know uh, spread the message out you know spread this the, the podcast uh, share it with your family with your friends and also you know remember that to subscribe to our youtube channel and also to subscribe to well whether it's apple or whether you use google but we're on all major podcast platforms so subscribe inshallah ta'ala because like I always say, you know, we cannot do this without the will of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and without your support. So inshallah ta'ala we'll end it there. Aqulu qawli hadha wa astaghfirullah liya wa lakum wa lisa'il muslimin fa astaghfiruhu innahu huwal ghafoor rahim. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuhu.